What's up, babes? And as the puck drops, the words that DC fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream. It's not a desert mirage. It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington. Welcome back to Jabber's Drink Radio. I'm your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined by co-host Kevin Klein and Greg Young. Uh, how you doing, Greg? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, it's been Caps have been busy since we last talked, so kind of good to uh, good to check in. Yeah, I've been real busy, and I mean, they were so busy that we brought back Kevin Klein. Kevin, you've been, I guess last time you and I talked was like back in January, so real happy to have you with us. Yeah, it's good to be back. A lot has happened. Yeah, lots happened both for the Capitals, lots happened for, you know, like all of our lives, and, uh, you know, but Capitals are no longer defending Stanley Cup champions, and I guess that's really what it all comes down to. Um, Always always defending Stanley Cup champions in our hearts. Always number one in the heart. (laughs) They don't take the banner away. That's really what matters. Um, So today, this is kind of our free agency episode. Um, Not really to say what we think should happen, but to say how we feel about what's already happened. Um, I'm just going to quickly run down kind of my preliminary list of what, like, I, I really kind of stands out to me, and that's really kind of a lot of the periphery pieces from the cup run are kind of gone now right we got no more burakovsky orpit Connolly, and um i guess kind of before going through the whole list of transactions i think we should kind of start with those three guys and kind of um like the impact they had on the team and kind of what you think uh, their loss is going to kind of do to the team's both chemistry and on ice performance uh starting with you greg yeah so um i mean obviously it's a big deal to lose i mean those are you know, I think it's you always get nervous to say, you know, to try to quantify like the value in the room. But, you know, it sounds like from kind of everyone's opinions about, you know, particularly Orpic and Connolly, they had a really big kind of, uh, you know, big impact in on the team, you know, and on kind of really developing, you know, certain players. Like I know that, you know, whatever you would hear Orpic talk, you know, it was always about like his mentorship role and things like that. And so, you know, you look at some of the development that some players have had, you know, and it's hard to like kind of, you know, quantify it, but it was definitely something that was important. Now, you know, it kind of does feel like you were saying that, you know, we've, the, the time has come to really move on. And, uh, but, you know, we'll still kind of always have like the memories of, uh, you know, Orpic and Connolly and all of them uh, in our hearts. So that'll, uh, that'll be cool and live on. Yeah, to that to that end about the locker room, you know, chemistry aspect of it. I think one of the markers of a of a strong locker room is the ability to withstand change, and that is not something I'm particularly worried about. Um, I think Brooks Orpik is a guy who's obviously had a lot of that kind of stuff attributed to the to the contributions that he makes to the club, so. I suppose there it holds a little bit more water with a guy like him. 
Um, but even so, he steps away. There's still a, a strong core of really experienced leaders in there, and the least of which being the captain, Alex Ovechkin. By the way, off the top of my head, with Orpik leaving, does that make Ovi the oldest guy on the team now? Ooh. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess it would, wouldn't it? So, so Papa Ovi, you know, yeah. this is a big, sort of... Um, I guess a leadership situation he was in. Not that he wasn't a leader before, but the, not having the significant contributions of Orpik to that end. Um, I, you know, these changes, you said it, Adam, they're, they're peripheral, which I think is something that is easy to lose sight of as they're happening, right? It's the the only news we've gotten in, in months at this point, and, um, and we're all thinking about the impact and just the... the microscope that we can tend to look at it at can inflate the actual impact of it. So I think that what we're going to have, even with a fairly high quantity of moves around the lineup, um, is still a very similar team, right? I still expect it to be a, um, a moderate to possibly even below average possession team that thrives on the margins. Um, and I think that maybe that sort of um, that dichotomy between their, their shooting talent and their possession game is a little less pronounced based on the moves that we've seen. You know, Connolly wasn't particularly good at creating chances, but he, he, had, um, he had a great career shooting percentage. Um, Burakovsky tended to be a good shooter, but, uh, or excuse me, tended to be a, a strong, you know, what would we consider a driver of possession, but that never really showed up to the way that we had hoped it would in the boxcars. Um, and, and so you've got a guy like Ponick coming in, ostensibly taking the place of Brett Connolly. And, um, and more so, you know, with the stuff that you guys talked about on the back end with, with Gudis and Niskin and all of that stuff, I think that stuff has more is going to have more impact than the changes we've seen with the forwards. Uh, but all in all, I think we're still just going to see a very, very similar looking and feeling team, um, just maybe a little bit tighter um, in some some of those defensive areas. Yeah, you're definitely right there, Kevin. I mean, I think it's just going to be a team that's got. Um, I mean, things are going to be different. And Greg did a great job, kind of in his in his piece today, kind of talking about how the Capitals have traded one problem for another, and. Uh, that can kind of just be viewed via the personnel and, and kind of some of their advanced metrics. So Greg, why don't you talk a little bit about your piece from today? Yeah. So I think it's interesting um, uh, on a bunch of fronts. It, the Capitals moves all really, at least in my view, kind of fit a similar theme of a team that really struggled all year and really over the last two years um, to really suppress offense, uh, the other team's offense. And it's, you know, you look at it, you look at the collapse of the Capitals in terms of the high danger chances against and, you know, the scoring attempts and, you know, his shot metrics and stuff like that. And I, I buy Kevin's hypothesis that, you know, the Caps are always going to outperform their shooting chance, uh, their shooting percentage, uh, you know, particularly when you have players like Alex Ovechkin. But, you know, I think it's I think it became clear that it, there was a bit of a breaking point that happened during to, during the last couple of years at times. So I think it was something that, you know, GM Brian McClellan really wanted to address. And I think he addressed it by getting, you know, forwards that might have been a little undervalued and, uh, you know, 
but that have pretty demonstrable success in terms of suppressing shots. So you look at a Carl Hagelin, and I know that we talked about kind of his lack of offensive prowess, uh, but he's very consistently good at suppressing shots for whatever reason. Uh, you look at a Hathaway or a Panic, they're both above average at it. And you look at Gudis kind of compared to Niskanen, and that it fits in that vein too. So I think that that's valid, you know, and I think it's valid to say that that's a maybe a bit of a market inefficiency, and it's not something I got to talk about a ton in my piece. But you know, I think it's I think it's definitely a a thing that the market still is reacting to forwards that can suppress offense. Um, that being said. I'm still a little baffled by the TANF contract, uh, that, that aside. But, you know, I think, I think uh, Brian McCullen did a good job kind of at the cap of, you know, seeing a problem and identifying it. But the trade-off is, and it is a real trade-off, that the Capitals lost some goals. You know, and it's going to be, they're going to have to find a way to replace Connolly, you know, at Burakovsky and, uh, you know, Niskanen's offensive production. Those are going to be things that the Capitals have to deal with. And, you know, that there's going to be a bit of a trade off there um, in terms of, you know, neither Panic or Hathaway or particularly Gudis are going to be uh, bringing the offense exactly. And so, you know, the Capitals are going to have to find a way to, you know, figure out where those goals are going to come from. Now, I think you can say that the trade-off is going to be worth it and the margins are going to be a little bit better for the Caps just because they're able to, you know, there's going to be hopefully fewer goals against. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be something that we have to see how that kind of works. And the other big variable here is we don't really know exactly how Reardon's going to deploy a lot of these players. You know, is it is he going to utilize the third line in kind of a shutdown method with, you know, Eller, Hagelin, and uh, Panic, which seems to be kind of what the thought is around it, or is he going to maybe, you know, if necessary, you know, put kind of Panic and Hagelin in different places in the lineup to kind of see, you know, if they can help some of the other forwards in the top six kind of suppress offense. I know that at one point last year, I actually kind of suggested that maybe put Hagelin with uh, Kuznetsov, just because Kuznetsov had been struggling so badly in terms of suppressing high danger chances. And so, you know, I think that's another variable that we're going to have to see. We're going to have to see how Reardon chooses to deploy the lineup. And it's uh, kind of the great unknown that, you know, it's going to be tough for us to really figure that out until maybe 20 games into the year or so. Yeah, and I think that's kind of um, like the big trade-off. You kind of mentioned that already. I mean, the biggest thing that I'm looking at is the third line, right? You look at you're going to have Hagelin now for the full season. Um, it's kind of unknown how much offense he's going to bring. You know, he's kind of been a... In my mind, like in terms of offensive production, Haglund's not really a step up on Burakovsky offensively. Um, defensively, obviously, it's a bit of a different story, but that third line kind of looks like it's back to being kind of a true shutdown line without kind of Connolly's goal-scoring touch, without Burakovsky's potential offensive upside. And it's just kind of, to, to me, the third line is not going to be kind of the three-line scoring threat we've seen before. It is going to be more of a traditional kind of um shut down third third line and, and i guess kind of kevin my thought like that i want to see what you have to say about is um i, I kind of thought the reason the capitals went to kind of that third line offense is because we found that you really need balanced scoring to win in the playoffs and you know on paper to me uh, i kind of think the capitals have lost some of that offensive offensive potency down in the lineup and even with the defensive improvements that Greg kind of talked about, I'm just not sure that they're really in a better shape now than they were, say, uh, you know, this spring when they were off playing against Carolina. Well, I think that 
we are potentially undervaluing Richard Ponick's offensive abilities. I mean, guy put up 22 goals a couple years ago. Um, had 14 each of the last two years, I believe, um, with 30-plus points in each of those. So that, to me, is sort of Burakovsky-level production. Um, as for um, Connolly, yeah, I, I think that's where you're sort of, you know, insofar, I know that Ponick is slotting in where Connolly was. Um, but if you think that Ponick is producing at the same rate as Burakovsky, that leaves Connolly, and and there's your sort of what you're what you're leaving on the table. And I I think that it's not zero sum that we're just thinking about these players who are coming in versus the players who are coming out. I think you've got to look at what is going on elsewhere in career progression for some of these guys. Um, Jacob Vrana had 34, or excuse me, 24 goals last year. Maybe you're hoping he can be a 30 goal guy, you know, with his second year in full top six minutes. You've got Tom Wilson, who had his breakout year last year, who has done nothing but improve on his boxcars every single year he's in the league. Um, and so he's got a proven track record of year over year improvement at this point. Maybe he's got something, um, you know, even more left to give from a production standpoint. Um, as far as needing contributions from, you know, top to bottom in the playoffs, sure. Um, I don't know that they really got that from Andre Burakovsky, you know, apart from, from big goals, which I don't want to um, be reductive of the import of those, but, but Burakovsky was sort of a classic, I'm going to score a couple of the biggest goals in the playoffs at key times and then disappear the rest of the time. So consistent scoring throughout the lineup, I don't know that he was really giving that, um, though he gave us some great moments, to be sure. Um, I So when you say, I don't know that they're better off than they were, okay, that's fine. I I buy that. I don't know that they're worse off either. And where they were, were was a, um, you know, per, they were perennial contenders for the Cup, and they were successful in, in getting that cup, you know, two years ago. So if that is the level that they have sustained, then while making what I think are some significant improvements on the back end um, and giving some some prospects on the blue line a chance to grow, um, I consider that a net win. Yeah, to kind of echo, I think, what Kevin said a little too. And, I mean, these were moves, I think, that, you know, McClellan obviously didn't have a ton of cap room to play with, and I think he had to kind of get creative. And it sounded like Burakovsky asked for a trade, even though, you know, he might have been slotted for a third-line role. So I think it's it's tricky to kind of know exactly, you know, it, it seemed like McClellan was going to have to make some moves no matter what, and he was going to be kind of limited, you know, by the cap situation, particularly, in, you know, that it came in a million and a half below what they thought it would. And so for a cap-strat team, Team like the you know the Capitals, it's gonna it's gonna kind of add a layer of complication onto it, and so you know I think there was a kind of a degree of inevitability about at least some of these moves. You know, it made sense that you know we had been hearing that Niskanen was going to be possibly on the block for the better part of six months now. So you know I think that's a kind of another layer on things that you know some of these moves probably were going to have to happen anyways. 
Yeah, I guess the Capitals definitely have had some cap trouble, and um, you know they're still kind of in trouble. It's it's going to be really hard for them to kind of uh, retain all three of Vrana, Stevenson, and Juice um, kind of heading into this upcoming season. Well, so, do you think that uh, that they signed Brandon Leipzig? I, I don't know if that bodes well for for Stevie coming back. Yeah, I gotta agree with you there. I mean, I don't really, honestly, I don't, I don't really know what we're looking at there. I mean, the Capitals did tender Stevenson, right? He was tendered a qualifying offer, so um, I don't know. I mean, they've, that's what I was saying too, right? I mean, how many forwards are they at now, the Capitals? Yeah, thirteen or fourteen. I think, I think they're already at. Yeah, so I, I mean, there's going to be some competition for those last roster spots. Um, I mean, it could be that, you know, potentially Brad, uh, Brad McCollin's looking to maybe make a trade and see if he can get like a seventh round. I don't, I don't know what kind, I think Chandler Stevenson has negative value, but you know, maybe he's trying to get some kind of pick for him maybe. And that's why he tendered, but you know, kind of with all these moves, that kind of seems like kind of a strange decision now, huh? I don't know. I mean, you just go back and uh, I was watching, you know, not living in the past or anything, watching the Capitals 2018 playoff, you know, game summaries. And Chandler Stevenson, like, didn't even look like the same player that we saw last year. And maybe that's just the whole team just played like that in the playoffs in 2018. But, uh, you know, he had legs. He was dogging in puck pursuit. I understand why he kept getting, like, shots in the lineup. I mean, the advanced metrics for Stevenson have never been that good uh, just because he doesn't get shots, right? I mean... Maybe that's yeah. not even fair. I mean, he's, he's the just... single, I think, single lowest forward in the NHL in terms yeah, of individual... Yeah, in, individual shots per 60 minutes. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Um, but, I mean, the raw... It's hard to sell on athleticism, right? Like, it, it's just... It, it's it's hard in the NBA. It's hard in the NHL. It's just... It's hard to kind of give up on a guy who's got something like speed. I mean, Carl Haglin is another guy. I mean, Haglin's like Stevenson just better, right? But it's another one of those kind of examples of a guy with with speed who doesn't always have kind of those other attributes and is able to stick around. Uh, you know, Jason Chimera, a guy with a lot of speed, does, didn't really have the best hands. He was also a bigger body, obviously, than Stevenson. But, like, having good legs is enough to keep you in the NHL. Um, so I understand why the Capitals were kind of hesitant to kind of get rid of him. Uh, although I imagine that this has to be the end for Chandler Stevenson, right? Yeah, it kind of does, right? Like, I, I just I don't see the room for him. You know, like we, I think the Caps only have four point, with last time I checked it, Cap Friendly, I think 4.2 million left, and they still, and I think we, we all agree, they have to get Jews and they have to get Rana done. So, you know, already I think you're probably looking to have to make some kind of move, you know, even to just hit, get those two, you know, in that 4.2 million, or, you know, kind of within 4.2. You know, I already think we're probably looking at a bridge for Rana and, you know, some kind of bargain basement deal for Jews. So, you know, I, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I just don't see how they can fit like a seven, eight hundred thousand, you know, with that kind of limited amount of space left. Now, I would have to review kind of the cap rules for kind of how it would work. I, I don't know. Isabel shooting put out a lineup on the first and she does not have Stevenson on there. Doesn't even have him kind of there competing for a spot. So we'll see. uh We'll definitely see how it shakes out. Kevin, you got any thoughts on uh, Chandler Stevenson and his fantastic 2018 playoffs followed by a pretty lackluster campaign? I don't really have much um, much to offer in terms of, you know, his outlook for for the future. You know, I wish him the best. Though, 
just bringing him up did remind me, and I, I hate to bring us back to an earlier point in the conversation, uh, but to your point about the depth scoring throughout the lineup, Chandler Stevenson certainly represented that during their cup run, mm-hmm. along with guys like Devontae Smith-Pelly, Nathan Walker, Alex Chase, right? And and there's nothing about those guys who that would indicate that they would be contributors at that right at that time. I don't think you're looking at them and saying, "Oh, we added Alex Chase on, we added um, Chandler Stevenson. These are going to be the, the the tertiary scoring that we've always needed during during a cup run." So I just think that chasing that sort of logic is ultimately uh, a fool's errand. I mean, you obviously want to do everything that you can as somebody who's assembling a roster, um, but that element of, of randomness is usually going to prevail, at, at least in terms of saying, you know, comparing the the, the margin between Ponick and Burakovsky or, or Connolly or whatever. And Chandler Stevenson's a good example. But thanks for the memory, Stevie. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's definitely kind of one of those cases, right, where um, you know, guys can just get hot at the right time. Um, but still, like when we evaluate players, right? Like, uh, I think JP is like tweeted a few times, right? If like you're gonna bet on someone like to like putting like a Burkhoff, like putting Stevenson lineup over Burkowski, right? That would be like the kind of example where you're seeing a guy with um, you're kind of seeing the guy's got the potential to win you a game to play a guy who's kind of um more likely to kind of give you what he's gonna give you. Like, I don't know if that's the best example, but just generally speaking, um. Yeah. Game breakers out there, yeah, uh, for game breaking moments. Exactly right, and yeah. that, that, that's um, and I, I I do think the Capitals probably have a bit less of that now, but that you know it, it's going to be it's going to be fine. Teams have gotten by gotten by with a lot worse. I, I really I think the Capitals are I, I think they did all they could do. Right? I mean, there's if there's any deal that personally I was maybe not super fond of, you know. I, I guess it was the Haglund deal, but even that's like, I'm not like upset about it. I just, I'm just not sure he's that good right now. And I, I, again, that's almost certainly some recency bias based upon his really poor playoff performance. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the cat, hey, the caps are contenders. I, I don't yeah. think that you, you can doubt that at all. And everything, everything that the organization can devote right now to winning while, uh, you know, they've got this core in place is is priority zero. So what I see in these moves are a strong play to to remain solid around a highly talented core and, and give this thing another run um, for for another couple of years. And and that to me is a a sound and aware strategy by by Brian McClellan and, and one that I approve of as a, as a fan of the team for sure. Greg, what do you think about um, kind of Kevin just talked about having a couple years with this window backs from contracts, obviously up at the end of this upcoming season, Holpe as well. Uh, I'd be shocked if Backstrom Backstrom is not going to get re-signed. You and I've talked about this previously on the show. Brain Holpe is the one I'm a bit more, uh, I think it's a, a lot more likely not to be coming back, especially after that Bobrovsky contract. Uh, what What are your kind of thoughts on, on Holpe? And is this like kind of the cap, like, do you think this is kind of the Capitals' last real go at it? Or are you, are you confident in like kind of the goalies they have coming up the, the pipeline? Well, okay. So uh, f- for one, I'm not going to ever declare a, I think we all learned the folly of declaring the Capitals' window uh, ended. 
um, see the 2017-18 Stanley Cup run, um, which happened after McCullen kind of infamously said that we had our two-year window, and then now we're trying to figure out what's next. So hockey is the beauty of hockey is that it's a weird, unpredictable sport where one of the prettiest goals the Capitals could have on that playoff run happened on a you know series of passes between Alex Chase on and Devonte Smith Pelly, right? Like that can happen and you know so that's so it's i think it's tough to ever definitively declare particularly with a team you know with alex ovechkin dead but you know i think you definitely do have to say though that you know the window is right now and you know it and it's gonna particularly because it's gonna be tough to get holpy done i i just don't see how they have the room at this point you know i mean with bobrovsky getting what like nine or ten million to get 10 million it, it was from the panthers am i right about that or is it like nine or something but you know a way high number that you know for basically a you know hope he's a pretty comparable goalie so you know it, it i mean hope he's gonna probably and very reasonably if he continues what he did last year or this year you know he's gonna ask for something kind of in a similar ballpark and i just don't see how the numbers are gonna work for the capitals to get it um now the problem is of course that they don't really have a you know, goalie that is very clearly ready. Samsonov last year, uh, I was kind of checking up on him, really struggled at the kind of first half of the year. And then, you know, after kind of January, seemed like he was figuring it out a little bit. But man, oh man, that's a that's a big risk to take to just immediately thrust him in to kind of a role like that. But I don't really know what, cap- what choice the Capitals are going to have. You know, I think that the other big complication, too, is uh, with Seattle, um, you know, there's going to be limits to how many goalies the Capitals can protect, particularly if they re-sign Holpe and, you know, he's going to, um, you know, eat up one of their goalie slots in terms of the expansion draft. So it's going to be really tough to see them get that deal done. Um, I, I don't really see how the numbers work unless you move a couple of contracts and, you know, that's also just a lot of money to dedicate to a goalie in general. And, you know, we've seen a lot of those big, big money contracts not really work out super well. And so it's going to be a big risk. Um, If you take the risk, it's because you say the Capitals window is the next two to three years. You know, we need to try to maximize whatever we can, push all of our chips in. And then after that, we're kind of in a blow it up all situation. Um, I think if, if you see it done, that's, that's why, but Man, oh man, that's going to be. I, you know, I don't see it happening. And if Samsonov really grows next year in Hershey, and you know, presumably he's going to get a couple of appearances in DC too, then you know, then I think it's even it's even more likely that you know Holpe moves on. So I think there's a lot of variables there, but it's tough for me to see a path right now to how the Holpe deal gets done, unless he takes a huge discount, which he shouldn't. I mean, he, he can if he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I don't really have... Get paid, though. You know, uh, hey, man, get paid. That's, like, kind of my philosophy. But, yeah, I mean, if he wants to take a discount to stay in the caps, uh, all for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of just a... Um, I, I totally agree with Greg. The, the numbers just don't work. The Capitals yeah. don't have a way to make it work, nor should they. Um I think it's sort of like a Hobie, Hobie chooses a team in the West where we can still all go root for him. But um, I don't know that coming into a season with a unproven prospect that one, one that's been nurtured in the system for a while is necessarily the worst thing. You certainly don't have to look very far to see a situation where a team that didn't have a lot of money tied up in the goaltender position 
did very well. This year, St. Louis Blues, and two years, two and three years before that, the, the Penguins with Matt Murray. Um, so it's a model that's been proven effective recently. Obviously, all of that is dependent on the play of the goalie itself. Um, so while there is risk, there's also high reward as all of that money gets invested elsewhere in the lineup. Yeah, the Capitals definitely, I mean, they're going to have to spend a lot of money, but a lot of that Hopi money is going to have to go into, I mean, probably Backstrom, right, and then Ovechkin the year after that, if I recall correctly. So they're really, uh, the Capitals are, I mean, it's going to be tight, and especially with the salary cap not going up as much as originally expected. Uh, Brian McClellan did come out and say that kind of there was mutual interest to uh, kind of do a longer-term deal with Jacob Rana, and then when the salary cap did not go up as much as they, he had hoped, he now has to do a bridge deal with them. So it's kind of already started to kind of affect the Capitals. I mean, the NHL really did kind of drop the ball on um, the salary cap this year, not not just in terms of, like, growing it, but in terms of uh, just not reporting it to the teams accurately in their estimates and then taking forever to, to actually get that number out there. So um, I'm kind of yeah, surprised it, it we've pathetic. seen so much. Yeah, we've seen a lot. Uh, it was movement. it was pathetic that they couldn't get the, I mean the the cap like I mean the cap just like not having it done until like the draft was going on that's that's insanity and it really it really is frustrating and it kind of there has to be a better system than this right like this 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 was just pathetic yeah um so that I mean we've kind of went through our our thoughts on the departures and the arrivals um if you guys have anything more to say about any of those guys before we kind of move on, I want to quickly cover uh, some of the interesting stuff that's gone on around the league that's, that's not 100% Caps related. Uh, either of you guys have anything left on on uh, the Capitals movements player-wise? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm gonna, it, I mean, it seems pretty likely that Devontae Smith-Pelly is going to move on too. I know we've kind of yeah. hinted at that. Um, you know, that's... Uh, you know, I, I, it's, you know, I think it makes hockey sense. Um, at the same time, you know, a part of me will be a little bummed, you know, I think having, you know, the Washington Capitals be in a majority African-American city and have a really good, strong ambassador like Devontae Smith-Pelly is important. And a part of me, you'll miss that, you know, but I, it seems to just make all the sense in the world at this point that the Caps are going to move on from him. So, uh, you know, uh, Bon Voyage, Devontae Smith-Pelly will always have the 2018 playoffs. Kevin, you got anything? No, just that just that I like the moves. I think that they are more quiet, competent, classic uh, Brian McClellan moves, and um, I think I think the result is going to be a reassuringly solid, honest product. All right, let's talk offer sheets. So we finally had another offer sheet. It's been years. Uh, the last big one I remember was the Shea Weber offer sheet that was. Uh, tendered by Philadelphia, which Nashville then matched after Weber had signed it. And this time, Sebastian Ajo was offered what I really think was kind of like a mild deal by Montreal, and he signed it. And, like, in my mind, it's a no-brainer for Carolina to just go sign this thing. I mean, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it's about an $8 million AAV for Ajo, uh, who is, like, an elite scorer. Or it looks like he's got all the talent to really be an elite scorer. His numbers last year were were very strong. Um, so I guess kind of want to get your guys' take on that. I mean, first off, if you're Aho, why would you sign that deal? 
Yeah, that was curious to me. Um, I mean, he's a legitimate number one center who could play pretty much in all all positions in all situations. Is young and is improving. So, yeah, I think it was eight six. Seemed I think was the number roughly or somewhere around there. I was confused by that too. I get why, you know, if he was a free agent and you're Montreal and you sign him to that deal, you're thrilled, right? Like, that's an incredible contract. Um, you know, and it seemed like there were a couple of shenanigans that they tried to do to make it a little tougher for the uh, for the Canes to match. Um, and there's also kind of the, the owner there is a little erratic. But, yeah, I was I was confused about this one. You know, it was a strange kind of move. And I think you're totally right. It was very easy to see the Carolina Hurricanes matching. Yeah, I just think that's 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 nuts. I mean, I think it's good for the league to have stuff like offer sheets, uh, sign-in trades. Um, you know, like the NBA kind of free agency period. It's like really exciting, right? I mean, you got all this stuff moving, all these parts, and um, I think it's good for for hockey interest to kind of have this pressure on teams um, to kind of retain their young talent. Uh, granted, I, I do like how the NBA has the rule where you can you know sign your own players to. Uh, Go like over the salary cap. I think that's a pretty cool thing, but um, I don't know. I, I've just been thinking a lot about the offer sheet mechanic and how it's uh, it's kind of nice to see one happen, even if I don't really think Montreal or Ajo did themselves like any real favors uh, with the deal that was tendered. Kevin, you got any thoughts? No, it's just really funky, right? Like, why would a GM come out with an offer sheet that's so obviously a low ball, but still represents a significant amount of money right off the bat. And the, what's the rule? The the team who has the play owns the rights to the players who receives the offer sheet has some amount of time to respond, right? Like a week. A week. And so they could have ostensibly just sat there fully intending to sign it, but waiting. So so um, Montreal would have all of this money tied up during the the most important week of free agency, I mean, it's no GM is truly that competent. So there's something else going on there. Um, <laughs> without without being too um, too obvious, I, I would just be curious to see if there are any other moves the rest of this summer um, where both of those teams have a stake. Yeah, it would be really interesting. I, I mean, I just. I thought Ajo was going to get more than eight a year. So uh, it, it definitely Greg's right, though. There was some funky stuff in there, if I recall. Like a lot of that money's in the first few years, and a lot of it comes in the form of a signing bonus. So um, plus, if you're Mitch Marner right now, man, like that—that's got to be annoying. I mean, having his own kind of offer sheet drama that I've been enthralled by and really glad i'm not involved <laughs> with it all um but you know i mean like that having that number be that low he can't he can't be thrilled that that happened i would imagine yeah i bet if i'm a maple leafs fan i'm i'm every contract that comes out and, and it's in a lower aav i'm pretty happy right yeah gotta drive that number down so um I, yeah kyle dubas probably loved hearing that i would imagine yeah what do you guys think about the trade between colorado and toronto yeah, I mean, it It was interesting. And I, I mean, so to clarify, we're talking about Kadri uh, or uh, Tyson Berry. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really like it from kind of both sides. I think that, and I think that kind of the consensus of you is that, boy, oh boy, did the Maple Leafs need a defenseman, particularly after they're almost certainly going to lose Jake Gardner. So 
they needed blue line help. And, you know, Tyson Berry is kind of an interesting player. You know, he's, I know that some advanced metrics aren't super fond of him, but it seems like even the people that are saying that are, you know, kind of caveating it a little bit and saying he's kind of an interesting player that's tough to really judge. So, you know, that on that hand, that makes a lot of sense for, you know, Toronto. Um, and, uh, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, if you're the, uh, if you're Colorado, you came off of a year where, you looked really good in the playoffs, but the one thing that everyone says is, how are you going to score aside from your top line? Uh, and so they really seem to kind of take aggressive action by, you know, with both the Burakovsky trade and getting Nassim Kadri, who, you know, really does seem like a legit 2C kind of center. And so, you know, it's going to be, I think it's the, it's a trade that makes a lot of sense for both sides. And, uh, you know, it, I think if you're the Leafs, you know, yeah, you, you really want the blue liner and, uh, you know, maybe you take a chance on Barry and see kind of what he can give you. So I, I, I really liked it. I don't know what you guys think, but yeah. I, I thought it was an interesting deal. Um, I think, I think kind of, as you said, I, I could see it kind of working out for both teams. Um, but looking online, there was a lot of stuff, but like Tyson Barry is not like the golden child analytically that I remember him being. Uh, from a couple years ago, uh, he still got really good like zone entry type stuff uh, stats, the micro stats that Corey Schneider tracks, but the um, like more traditional or, or like war related stats in addition like to the Corsi for Corsi against stuff like not not like um, as strong as I was expecting kind of given kind of the pedigree of player that I associate him um, as being. So uh, I think it's gonna be an interesting deal, and I think it's gonna be. Uh, I, I don't know. Toronto definitely needed though with Gardner going, probably going out the door. So, yeah, I think that I'm selling a little bit on Colorado's, um, Colorado's outlook here for next year. I think there this flurry of activity and a lot of skill coming in, name recognition is is creating a lot of buzz and excitement, which is great, young and exciting. But I look at that second line, and the, the projection I saw today was Kadri centering Burakovsky, and um, oh, someone's going to have to help me out here. I forget who was on, on the left wing. Oh, give uh, me a sec. Got to look it up. Regardless, I didn't think that that really smacks of, uh, of, of super strong roster depth, depth frankly. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I've thought about this very much or, or analyzed it very much. I would just say that Nazem Kadri is a is a jerk, a proven jerk. <laughs> yeah. He's a sweetheart, and it's a damn shame that that's going to be the guy who's centering him in his new city. Yeah, uh, Tyson Jost will be on his left wing. Yeah, so I mean that Burakovsky, Kadri, Jost as a second line, second scoring line doesn't exactly strike fear into the hearts of of. Uh, you put it in team if you're asking me. You know, I, I'm really interested to see what Burkowski does somewhere else. Um, I've got no idea if it will be, like, really how it will go for him, but uh, he's definitely a guy that I think will benefit from a change of scenery and, um, you know, wish him nothing but the best. He's got, he had those good goals. And uh, as Greg pointed out on the last podcast, uh, uh, you know, he, Andre just opened up a lot of brain space for me by by getting traded out of here. So I was going to say, is your abs jersey in the mail yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> no, but, uh, um, no. All right. Um, you have moved on. I have moved on. You know what? I, it's 
it was for the, the best for both of us. No. A lot of fish in the sea, string. A lot of fish in the sea. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, I'm really glad we got to get together and record this episode, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. Um, if they do enjoy it, they should be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes and um, you know subscribe to us on whatever sort of podcast catching app that you use these days um you know we all of our episodes are hosted on soundcloud so um on behalf of myself greg young and kevin klein thank you for listening to this episode of japers rink radio